Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're here to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Hey, yo. Hey. Hey, we're back. We're back on our bullshit. Always. Oh, yeah. Always. Well, not always, but... I mean, it could be bullshit. I don't... I don't know how you justify that i justify everything that comes out of my mouth is bullshit oh i thought you were gonna say truth (laughs) well because like david the other day he was like i I don't know what he said but i told him that everything we said was true oh right um so oh well this will work out really well hey guys we started an animorphs anonymous facebook group for everybody to hang out in and talk and send us messages and um, the first message we got was from our friend David, who said something like, I assume you're making this group because you're out of backlogged episodes. And Fool. Right. And we had to assure him that we were not. Oh, wait. I think the comment you were referring to was mine, where I said, this is the group. Like, I made a group description where I'm like, this is where you can correct us on all the, like, bullshit that comes out of our mouth. And you oh, said, yeah. only truth. And yeah, I said, that I was sounds like, better. we are never wrong. Right, right. Oh, um, I have a, a thing to tell you about. And tell me. And it's perfect because it's Marco's episode. I saw a cup on the side of the road yesterday sitting perfectly up as though somebody had just placed a cup on the ground, like from their car, and then driven away without it, and I thought of you. Oh, no, that makes me so sad. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. I didn't mean to make you sad. Oh, no. <laughs> It it's, wasn't it's, a toy. It's, it's really interesting because I, I was walking with some coworkers earlier in the week and I saw, I think I saw like a child's sock on the ground. Oh no. You would think I would have been like, oh no, a child lost their sock. But my immediate reaction was, hey, free sock. I did see this perfect trail on the road the other day of like... <laughs> It was, like, a cloth, and then a baby blanket, and then a stuffed animal, and, like, I, like, (laughs) at first I was like, what the heck? And then, like, as every item I passed, I was like, I'm suddenly piecing together exactly what happened in this car. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, I can just picture the kid throwing it out the window, and it just, yeah. Oh, my God, that's amazing. (laughs) It set the scene. (laughs) I freaking love that. It was pretty funny. And it, like, it was so unexpected, too, because you're like, what? Why is this in the road? Why is this in the road? And then you get to, like, the third or fourth item, and you're like, oh, I get it. Kid was just throwing (laughs) shit out the window. The parents probably didn't even notice. Probably until, like, they got to, like, something bigger, and or the kid screamed, like, give it back or something. And then the parents... Mommy, I lost my toy! (laughs) So (laughs) when I was a kid... I had two experiences like this, and the first one was me. I had a jellyfish beanie baby, the tie-dye one, like, from the second generation that came out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
And I, like, had rolled it up in the window so that, like, four of the legs were on the inside and, like, oh four were on the outside. Oh and I God. was like, this is so cool. Like, it's in the car. It's out of the car. And I was, like, holding on to one of its little tentacle legs. But then it got sucked out. And I freaked out. I'm like, no, my jellyfish. <laughs> and I think we went back to get it. But this informed my second problem with this in the car where my younger brother had taken one of my, um, I had like a little like car, like the little, what do you call them? The Hot Hot Wheels. Wheels? Yeah. Yeah. I had like a Batmobile Hot Wheels and it was mine and I really liked it. And of course, like my brother took it. And of course, whenever my brother took anything, my parents were always like, let him play with it. It'll be fine. Spoiler, it never turned out fine. And so he was like doing it on the edge of the window. And I was like, wait a minute. Me, much older, wiser Alex, has done this with a beanie baby. I'm like, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to drop it. I'm not going to drop it. I'm not going to drop it. Sure enough, he fucking drops it. And I turn around just in time to see it smash into a million pieces on the road. And I was like, so torn between like, I told you so. And I'm really mad at what you just did to my Hot Wheels. (laughs) You little shit. You little son of a bitch. (laughs) so yeah (laughs) well that's terrible yeah it was pretty bad although you know what batman's a pretty good segue into this book yeah yeah that's that's true yay we're we're in marco's book and marco likes batman and also he may become a batman we'll find out on this episode of animorphs anonymous no that's no I like it. Keep going. We need a. We need to make an internal theme song now. No, I. Uh, I've been listening to the Adventure Zone a lot the past few days. So whenever <laughs> I that, knew like, I recognized like a, that. Yeah, that was just like the perfect lead-in. Like when when Justin in the beginning is all like, "What will our boys get up to next? Find out <laughs> in the Adventure Zone." And it, yeah, I just spiraled out of control. Oh man. <laughs> yes. Good synergy. Commit to the bit. Uh, oh man we need an internal theme song now the gears are grinding in my tiny head perfect i know anyways speaking of nerdy stuff that we all like good god when i was reading this book i was i've never read ready player one but Mm -hmm. it was so chock full of 90s references i was like is this what it's like reading ready player one which is chock full of 80s references um no, this is like one tenth of Ready Player One. I have okay. read it, um, and I was not super on board with the writing at all from day one. Once you get into the story, there's compelling moments. But yeah, no, Ready Player One would be more like Marco opened up, he got a haircut, he looked like so and so from X Men, and then he went onto his hoverboard from Marty McFly, and he rode his hoverboard to i don't know other teen reference something otherwise and then he didn't have enough money to buy a transformer so instead he just got like the bumblebee version of like a box car or something Jeez. like that oh my god <laughs> yeah oh, yeah it's no. it's a yeah i mean i don't want to disparage it but um the writing definitely could use some spicing up. That being said, I have not seen the movie. And Scott came to me the other day and was like, it's getting really good reviews. And I'm like, yeah, because what they did is they took Steven Spielberg and said, direct a movie about all your other movies. 
how oh could it god. not be good oh my god i didn't even think about that right it's literally just like hey your movies are really good tell us about all of your movies and then make it a movie Jeez. yeah so i mean i have high hopes <laughs> so there's that and apparently uh, there is um a commercial where serenity was in it there was like a flyby of serenity really i think so yeah what? in uh okay but firefly's not from the 80s so no, is it I, not strict? It's not strictly '80s references. It's just kind of like whatever. Yeah, it's like any nerdy reference at all. Okay. It's not. I think it's '90s too, if I remember correctly from reading the book. Um, and they yeah. also go further back oh, in time, right? Because Tracer from Overwatch is in it. Yeah, they have all sorts of stuff in there, and then I think they added even more. Like I don't ever remember the T Rex from Jurassic Park being in the book. But I've heard it's in the movie. I don't know if that's true. Okay. So, I don't know. I feel like I would have, like, viscerally remembered the T-Rex being in the book I mean, if it was. You you definitely would have. I would have latched onto that for okay. sure. <laughs> uh, so, so that's Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah. Tune in next week, and we'll talk about something else not related to Animorphs. Well, I feel like we can't say anything about Ready Player One, which is a book about how much they like things from, like, a past time in their childhood, and we're doing a podcast about Animorphs because it's such a big part of my childhood. Yeah, that's true. So, I can't, I'm not, anyways. So anyways, Marco. 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 I missed Marco's humor. I did, too. And, um... I really paid a lot more attention this time to the kind of yo-yo effect that he does between, like, the really sad, really funny, since we talked about it. Mm -hmm. So I liked reading it again with that extra nuance noticed. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll um, open real hard here because I wrote this opening sentence here, which I need to gather all of my excitement for, which was... We open with Marco, amazing, wonderful, absolutely stunning Marco, who has just gotten a haircut. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. The wow was on the next line. I didn't see it until I stopped. <laughs> um, yeah, his hairstylist, Charisse, assured him it took his cute factor from a 9 to a solid 10. And then we talk about alien warfare, because that's a segue for a haircut. They just, I thought that was kind of a weird kind of one-off comment, but they kept bring it, bringing it up throughout the book. And I'm like, oh God, is this a plot point? Is his haircut Is this going to pay point? off in the end battle? Like, what's going on? Yeah, actually, I mean, I know we said no spoilers, but what happens is we get to book 54 and it's just an hour talking about Marco's haircut. Really? Like, yeah, like the first 80 pages of the final book is just like, Marco really liked his haircut. Here is a list of people that didn't like it, and here are the reasons that they should <laughs> like it. And that's how we get to the end of the series. It's very, very relevant. It pays off later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It shapes the entirety of the plot of this book. And all books, actually. I don't know why I just said this one. The entire <laughs> arc of the rest of the Animorph series is oh just Marco's God. haircuts. Jesus. <laughs> and you can tell the ones that are ghostwritten because they don't talk about his haircut in such depth 
And then the ones that are actually written by Applegate are, like, fucking into his haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Anyways, God. his haircut's very mind important. Mind-bending stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he has a haircut. It's super important. I mean, it really... I. I laughed every time it was brought up because I am on board with cheap jokes. Anyways, after his uh, haircut thing, he really does just jump into the alien war after that and telling us why the Yurks are bad and how they're coming after him and his friends and he can't tell us his full name. Like, all the normal stuff. It was just, it was noticeable in this book because it was such a, like, stark segue from one to the other. Um, and then we get to the opening side mission, uh, and this one is super fun. Marco's trying to get Jake to go with him to an outdoor concert, but because they're children and have no money, they're gonna go as dogs. Okay, hang on. (laughs) So, the concert is The Offspring, Alanis Morissette, and Nine Inch Nails. Yes. And... I literally last night had a dream that I was in the Tim Hortons next to where I used to live. And I looked to my side and the fucking offspring, the entire band was just sitting there and I was like, the offspring! And they came over and I got to take a picture with them. And then I wake up and start reading the book and I read that shit and I was like, oh my god, I'm psychic. (laughs) I knew this was gonna happen. Uh, I was just thinking like, what... What venue put that together as a concert? Right? I was thinking that too. Because you've got like (laughs) punk rock. You've got kind of like, I don't know what Nine Inch Nails is, like industrial rock or whatever. And you've got Alanis Morissette. And I'm like, usually people try to book bands that are fairly similar or at least complementary. But like the only common thread between these guys is they're all pretty mainstream. Like... I mean, relatively, but I mean, I once went to an Alanis Morissette and Bare Naked Ladies concert, and they were performing together, I believe, because they are both Canadian, and that was the only thing tying them together, (laughs) and I still was like, wow, the disparity between these two things is just too much for me to grasp, and like, reading this, I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) (laughs) like, I think before, I just kind of like glossed over it because i was like okay that's a little weird but like i won't okay whatever but this time reading it i was like wait really like who put this together who is in charge of this maybe um ka applicate was just kind of listening to the radio while she was outlining and she's like i need three bands and then the offspring played and then alanis morissette played and then nine inch nails played on the radio and she's like these three will do i don't know maybe she was playing Mad Libs with this. And she was like, friend number one, name a band. Friend number two, name a band. And friend number two is a dick because they're like, is Alanis Morissette considered a band? And she was like, fuck it, I'm putting it in. So (laughs) there's that. (laughs) That's how it happens. You heard it here first. (laughs) I was also really tempted to look up to see if the offspring Alanis Morissette and Nine Inch Nails played together at any point in history, just to like see if I can pinpoint their geographical location. But then I remembered, <laughs> <laughs> but then I remembered that in my script that I wrote about 
music and bands, I took an artist and put her at a time and a place in a city that she never, ever went to. So I just made that shit up. So I imagine it's probably the same situation. I feel like a scrub now because I legitimately just brushed this off as this is so impossible it would never happen and did not bother <laughs> to look it up. <laughs> well, now I feel like a dick. I should have looked no, no, that no. up. <laughs> I said I thought about looking it up, um, but did not. Um, okay, good. I did do geographical location hunting at a later point in this book, but didn't get very far. Okay. Was it Planet Hollywood? N- oh... No, that's a, that would have been good, though. But it was like, <laughs> it was Sorry. Like, we were going to go to a lake, which was in the mountains. And I was like, Lake Tahoe? No, there are many lakes in many mountains. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. That's, that's probably the worst thing to look up, because that could be anywhere. Anywhere there's mountains. Yeah, and right? it would take them, like, ten hours to fly to Lake Tahoe from basically a coastal city. Because it takes like five hours to drive there. Yeah. <laughs> this is a super long tangent. I'm so sorry. I, no. That's... I'm just really concerned about 90s music and how much I love it. I just am really concerned that somebody put this together and thought, yeah, this is a profitable evening. <laughs> I mean, I'd go. I love all three of those bands. <laughs> that's true. And I guess Warp Tour is kind of the same. Warp Tour? No. Hang on. It'll come to me. No. What's the one in Milwaukee? Lollapalooza? Oh, yeah, Summerfest. Summerfest, thank you. Yeah, um, it's like, yeah. A yeah. Big, big music Outdoor festival. stage, yeah, where everybody, yeah. like... Because we did see, like, 30 Seconds to Mars while we were waiting for the Dresden Dolls to play, so, like, that's pretty similar, I think, to the disparity between, like, Nine Inch Nails and Alanis Morissette. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Jake is not on board with this plan to go to this outdoor concert as a dog. Uh, but then Marco does convince him. And when I say Jake's not on board, I mean Jake is like, well, we really shouldn't. Because I did tell Rachel and Cassie to stop doing this. And this would be doing a thing I said for them to stop doing. So he's kind of on board, but he's pretending not to be. And then uh, Marco, through multiple bad jokes and very weak arguments, does convince Jake to go. And the one that works is, well, I'm going no matter what, so you have to come to watch my back. So there you go. And we also find out Marco acquired an Irish setter at some point. We don't know when or where. Or why. I assume he just pet a dog at some point. Okay, so anyways, you're right. Moving on. They're going to the concert as dogs. Uh, they, next scene, chapter, is they cut to an alley nearby the concert, and they go and they morph in a dumpster to stay out of sight, and Jake warns Marco, don't get too happy. And Marco's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, dude. Um, so when he morphs, he does completely lose himself to the insane dog happy, and starts, like, play bowing to Jake and, like, running around, and I'm assuming getting the zoomies. And, uh, I know, right? So cute. And then he goes running into the middle of the street and is narrowly missed by a car, which screeches to a halt. And uh, Jake doesn't even really react to that. Jake's just kind of like, nice job, Marco. And then they move on. Whereas, like, if this was Rachel and Cassie, he would have been, like, flipping his shit. Right. 
<sighs> Whatever. Um, and then there's an extremely long interlude about a, a hippie couple that's petting Marco. Like, there's a lot of time spent on this hippie couple. Yeah, it's like a freaking two and a half pages about where she pet my head and it felt amazing. And then she pet my belly and my legs started moving. And they laughed. And they it's like, it. who fucking cares? <laughs> I don't know. And you're really my barometer for this book with how much I should care because you're the dog expert of all time. I defer to you on all things dog. And so if you don't care about this, then I really don't care about this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved how dog heavy this book was, but Jesus Christ, I want to see the offspring. <laughs> uh, well, they do. That's the next thing they do. They go in, they see the offspring, I believe. It was offspring, yeah. right? Okay, the yeah. The offspring start playing and then they're like, oh shit, dog hearing is really good. This is really loud. And then he's like, I can hear all the words finally. This is incredible. Which was pretty funny. I mean, I feel like that was like a like after going on about this, how she picked these people off the radio, she was probably like, oh, Alanis Morissette's great, but the offspring, I don't even know what they're saying. <laughs> so it felt like a dig, kind of. Oh. <laughs> so um, after enjoying this concert for like 10 seconds, they run into someone handing out flyers for the sharing. Uh, and then... They realize they know who it is. It's this kid that transferred their school like a year ago named Eric King. And then they realize he has no smell. Da da da. So um, that's where they end that scene. And that's a we... weird way to spell Eric. E Eric. See, I pronounce it Eric. I spelled it, I kid you not, four different ways in my notes before oh, really? finally, like, actually just like sitting down for a minute and being like, okay, internalize how this is spelled. Yeah. The first yeah. time is E-R-I-C, then I went E-R-I-K, and then I think I went, I'm looking for the other one, it it looks like E-R-E-K, which might be the proper spelling. Yeah, yeah that's, okay, that's yeah. right. Okay, yeah. So I, I three different spellings. The third one was the proper one, E-R-E-K. My, um, my aunt had a German shepherd named Eric, but it was E-R-I-C-H. Why? I don't know. <laughs> he was a good boy though. can we patch her in right now and make her tell us exactly why she did this horrible thing oh probably because it was Irish or something she really likes Irish shit oh. I love you Aunt Kathy <laughs> she doesn't listen to this podcast <laughs> I would be very surprised if she did I would be too although where she lives is our highest listener base so maybe she does there you go. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> anyway, E-R-E-K is a really interesting way to spell Eric. So I was pronouncing it Erek for a really long time. I never, I just pronounced it Eric. And I don't know why. I guess I shouldn't have. No, you're, you're, that's probably what the intended pronunciation was. I hope so. <laughs> I just can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, I, I had to like legitimately like be like focus focus on how this is spelled because i just kept doing it wrong anyways um so jake calls a meeting at cassie's barn we get the usual rundown of the characters uh, a little more brief than usual um the only thing that i really noted here to call out was that he made another another reference to tolkien about how rachel looks like one of the elven maidens mm-hmm 
Um, and then he just entertained me with his other descriptions about how, like, oh, if Rachel's, like, this beautiful model in the spotlight, then Cassie's the one likely to buy Smelly Animals magazine. So that was pretty good. Um, and then we end the descriptors with Rachel insulting Marco's terrible haircut. Yay! <laughs> and then Marco is, like, could not come up with a comeback. And so he was like, yeah, well, you're just... You're, and Rachel's like, my what? And he's like, tall. You're just tall. And she did not break down into tears like Marco expected. <laughs> so um, then they, they're deciding, like, the whole point of this meeting was not to insult Marco's hair. It was to talk about Eric. And they're coming up with plans of, like, how they're going to find him. Are they going to stake out his house? Are they going to, like, do this crazy mission? And then Cassie just goes, like, why don't you look him up in the phone book? Because Cassie is the voice of reason in this book. Oh my god. Everyone's just so hardwired into like, okay, what crazy like military-esque scheme can we do? And Cassie's just like, just do the simple thing that a normal person would do. Right? (laughs) Just Google it, damn it. That's, well, that's what we do nowadays. Google Eric King, see what comes up. Oh god. Yeah. Cassie's really like, multiple times in this book, she's the one that's like, wait a minute, there's a simple solution. So this was her first one, where she's like, let's just look it up in the phone book, and they find ten people. So the only other thing to discuss is who's going to make all the phone calls, and there's, like, some minor banter about Jake writing a paper, Rachel has to go to Planet Hollywood, which is why I brought that up earlier. <laughs> there you go. And, um, and then Marcos and Cassie and Tobias, I think, are the ones that are going to do this. So next day... Marco's in the cafeteria writing the English paper that Jake responsibly went to go write and Marco blew off until the last minute. And we get this wonderful mixture of like very Nickelodeon 90s stuff here. Yeah. Where, yeah, like Marco's eating blue goo from the cafeteria and writing a paper about absolutely nothing. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, she hit peak audience right here. Yeah, that... (laughs) That was probably one of my favorite parts of the book, though. Like, I, like I, I've mentioned this before. I live for the kind of, like, mundane, kind of normal kid scenes. Mm-hmm. And so I just really liked this scene where they're, it's just Jake and Marco bantering about how Marco's completely bullshitting his paper. Yeah. And there was a lot of those moments in this book, which I didn't write down a lot of them because they are just that. Like, just, like, banter and moments of showing us the humanity of the characters, like, the childhood of the characters. So it's not, like, major plot points, but there's a lot of that. Yeah. And I appreciate it, too. (laughs) And I mostly appreciate the insults about his hair, though. I really (laughs) loved that part. (laughs) The other thing I thought about um, Marco's haircut when they brought it up more than once was, like, okay, I feel like it's a common trope to have a character cut their hair when as like a metaphor for like they're like ridding themselves of like attachments or yeah like Mulan yeah like Mulan or um what else am I thinking of I don't know there's a bunch of movies where like the main character has long hair and then like after the dark night of the soul like soul crushing moment they're like okay I'm gonna come into act three and I'm gonna be like gung-ho so I gotta cut my hair so that I'm like ready for battle or whatever yeah probably more articulate way to say that but well no that's that makes and then there's the other side of it too where like 
when people have their hair forcibly cut and it's a sign of like dishonor or shame like ah oh, yeah. we're taking this away so yeah yeah like in be for vendetta oh yeah yeah like, like in that movie he shaves her head mm-hmm. and she's crying the whole time yeah but huh. no this is just marco decided to cut his hair and everybody taunted him throughout the book <laughs> Yes, that's why I love it so much. Like, <laughs> oh, now that you're saying this, like, she uses such great, like, foreshadowing, which is very obvious to me now as somebody who's, like, weirdly in love with foreshadowing. She uses this sort of thing to such great effect. It was really kind of funny. I think that's maybe why I reacted to it, because she gave us the runaround on, like, what should have been like an obvious writing choice or what could have been an obvious writing choice to make us like pay attention to something and said <laughs> she just gave us the runaround the whole time <laughs> it's like telling a joke via english essay but not I like, like a joke joke like a format joke and i like it i like it too <laughs> anyways but sorry i'm gonna keep talking about this it also feels like it probably would have been inappropriate for any other character absolutely it but the fact that it's a marco book and the fact that the whole thing ends up being a joke is just like uh so good yeah absolutely because like i mean you couldn't do with rachel because she would just be really mad because you know she has to be well-groomed at all times cassie is constantly mad right and like cassie nobody would have cared and nobody would have mocked her either because cassie Mm -hmm. like jake would have just brushed it off no marco obviously tobias can't get a haircut anymore baby (laughs) i guess he had his like feathers torn out but that really doesn't like anyways yeah yeah it really you're it could only be done with marco yeah, so anyways, they're in the cafeteria, they're eating blue goo, talking about this paper that is complete bullshit, and he hasn't said anything. Um, and they literally say it's complete bull, they just don't use shit. Uh, I know, it's it throws me off every time. There were a couple of censored moments in this book. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure there there is. The kids have to earn the right to swear. Yeah. <laughs> They haven't been through enough yet. They can't swear. Right. They can only lead up to it right now. But once they hit a breaking point, they'll suddenly start swearing a lot. Just drop, drop an F-bomb. Just drop an F-bombs left, right, what and was, center. What was the point of the scene, apart from just having nice banter? What oh, was the payoff of the scene? Uh, that's when Jake um, tells Marco the mission about how they're going to spy on Eric. And then um, Marco has that moment where he thinks about how Eric went to his mom's funeral and that leads to him thinking about how Eric was really angry at his mom's funeral. And he didn't, like, it was out of context, so he didn't know why. But in light of this recent dis- discovery that he is, you know, whatever, they don't know what he is yet. He's, it, it takes on a different meaning, or it could. Like, it's a mystery to him. So it was really just to, like, figure out that they're going to be staking out his house. And then for Marco to add a little bit of context to this, which was that Eric went to his mom's funeral. Mm-hmm. And that's all. Um, And that really is all because that just kind of cuts away to Marco saying he finished his paper nine seconds before it was due and then got assigned another paper. And now he's going flying to Eric's house. So got the mission. Now we're on the mission with very little in between. (laughs) So Marco climbs up to the roof of the school. 
They He flies over to Eric's house or is on his way there. We get a lot of talk about how awesome flying is and how it's amazing and his vision's so good. And he spots Tobias, who then says to him, yeah, Marco, I've been watching you for like 20 minutes already. And Marco's like, what the... How have you seen me 20 minutes ago? Blah, blah, blah. And Tobias goes, it's the way you fly and also in like three seconds, dodge left. And Marco's like, wait, what, what? And Tobias is like, nope, do it now. And then a peregrine falcon goes swooping past. And then Marco's like, ah, flying's not as great as I originally thought because I'm being hunted now from the sky. So that happens. A little bit of sympathy for Tobias now, eh? Yeah. And I think... Every time we kind of check in with Marco, he's like, life is really hard for Tobias. Life is terrible for him. And Rachel's like, who you think would be the one that would like notice this or say this is more like, Tobias, something's happening to me. I'm coming to you in the middle of the night because there's a problem with me. And Cassie's more like, doesn't, she kind of gets it, but apparently not really at all. So it's very, like, Marco is the only one that gets this. (laughs) Somehow, Marco's the only one that gives a shit about how hard Tobias's life is. Mm. I didn't write that down, I'm sorry. That's why that tangent was very weird and did not have a conclusion. It's because I was just thinking about that, and those were the thoughts running through my tiny head. (sighs) Yeah, so they get there. um, They're watching out for Eric. They see him coming home, and then they notice that there's some bullies closing in on him. And Tobias, of course... Gets Yeah, Tobias gets really upset because he was a bully magnet. And then we hear again how Jake met Tobias because his head was in the toilet about to be flushed. And Tobias is like, I'm going to swoop down and get that kid. Yep. But it's interrupted because Eric trips into the side of a bus? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever. Yeah. That's whatever. Fine. He was I feel running... like he probably... Yeah, I feel like he probably could have just fallen on the ground and had the same effect. I don't... Maybe. I feel like it wouldn't have disrupted his hologram enough, though. Which is what happens when he bashes into the side of the bus. Exactly! They see something pop out for a second, flickers, and then he's Eric again, and he just walks away from being hit by a bus, and apparently the bullies were like, oh, well that... Fuck. Okay, that was enough. We're done. And they leave. I mean, I guess if I chased a kid into a bus, I would probably leave afterwards, too. (laughs) Or fear persecution. My my biggest concern about this entire scene was that when a kid slams into a bus, the bus driver's bound to notice. Or, like, a kid in the bus is bound to notice. But they explicitly state that the bus driver didn't even notice and continued to drive. I'm like, that's kind of a problem. Could it be the Google bus? The Google... What? The buses that are run by Google that apparently don't care about anything and crash into their own cars. Yeah, they don't don't give a shit. They they cut me off so often because I know they're not going to yield to me. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I live where google is they can't google is everywhere yeah they are everywhere universal they're in my head right now they're recording this conversation (laughs) they're watching us (laughs) they're watching us right now oh boy boy howdy (laughs) 
All right, I'll keep going. <laughs> Sorry. No. There's a lot of tangents happening in this episode. Well, I rightfully so. So, um, after they see this, like, crazy shit go down, they're like, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. We gotta get Axe. We gotta get Jake. We gotta make something happen. So, Tobias goes to get Axe. Marco, uh, goes home to check in with his dad and then calls Jake from his house. And when he calls Jake, it's Tom that answers the phone. And after Tom calls Jake over to, like, come get the phone, Tom starts one of his, like, fucking terrible pitches to once again get the Animorphs to join the sharing. Because, you know, they don't have flying saucers. <laughs> and um, he starts, like, just saying something like, we're skiing. And Marco's like, what? You're, you and Jake are skiing? No, Jake's a loser. He doesn't have any social life. It's the sharing. We're doing water skiing. And he starts, like, trying to bait Marco to go there by telling him they just have too many girls and they need guys to balance this out. Oh, yeah. Which like, is once again, super creepy. Yeah, and once again, Tom is proving that he is not very subtle. And yeah. he lays things on very thick. Yeah. <sighs> yes, he does. And, like, it's, it's just very weird. And then um, Tom starts saying, like, why don't you bring your dad with as well? And Marco's, like, he's immediately on, like, his analyst brain turns on, and he's like, what do you need my dad for? Why are you trying to get my dad? What is this? Um, and Tom's still, like, pitching, like, bring him along, bring him along. And Marco goes, my dad has a new job. It's in computers. It has something to do with computers. Okay, I think I know what this is. And that just sends Marco into a rage. So Jake gets on the phone then. And Marco just, like, lets loose this whole, like, can you believe he's fucking trying to recruit my dad? Blah, blah, blah. Like, this is just terrible. And Jake's like, shut up. And then he, Jake's having this one-sided conversation, pretending he and Marco are mm -hmm. talking while Marco Cause, calms down. Yeah, because Tom is still nearby. Right. And he's, like, keeping up the ruse. <laughs> the ruse. The ruse. Um, and then Marco just gives the signal to Jake to meet in the woods, and he goes, okay, and they hang up. And then Marco continues to silently rage for a while afterwards. Yeah, because they came after his mom, and they're not going to get his dad. And he does call out the sharing specifically, and I don't know if he says yerk or controller, but he gets really close to saying it out loud on the telephone. So... Yeah. He, he came pretty close to, like, screwing up big time. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, he rages, uh, and then the kids meet in the woods. And this scene, like, even writing notes about it, it was so disjointed and just funny and weird that I had trouble. So here's my best shot at explaining to you what happens in this scene. Cassie's looking at a hole in the ground. Rachel's sitting on a log. Marco and Jake roll up there on their bikes. Axe comes brilliantly galloping out of the woods, jumps over Rachel's head, lands. Tobias swoops in, tells them there's kids playing soldier like 300 feet away from them, and says <laughs> we should move along. And then Axe says, Marco, are you sick? You, it seems your hair is shorter. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... Cassie makes Tobias promise not to eat the possum babies that she was just looking at. Because they're it's, cute. It's chaos. It's it's utter chaos. And I was just like, I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was all happening. And like, I kind of put that in an order. 
But that order was not there in the book. <laughs> yeah. This was all just happening. Um, but it was, I died laughing when Axe asked Marco if he was sick. Because I did it was too. Good. Yeah. It's just so funny. Every time. Every time it gets me. Um, and then they start talking about Eric. Uh, and all we find out is that Axe doesn't really know what he is, but they assume that he's probably an android, and, uh, that's it, and they're gonna go spy on him at the sharing skiing trip, which was conveniently mentioned. I keep saying skiing. Water skiing. Sorry. Water skiing trip. Um, that was conveniently mentioned earlier. To be fair, I forgot that he said water skiing, so my mind only got the skiing part which is why i thought of tahoe because it is a lake in the mountains and people do ski there so, oh <laughs> so all your research was for oh. not it was it was for not oh well that's a bummer also they mentioned that they need an animal that can see pot- potentially see through the hologram that eric is projecting right just not bugs yeah, Marco. Marco's strongly against the bug idea. No insects, he says. Yep. So good news. They decide to go with a spider, which is not an insect. It's an arachnid! Whee! <laughs> this again, Cassie with the technicalities in this book. At least she didn't <laughs> say meds or medicine again. <laughs> yeah, this was a little more intelligent and not quite so obvious. Sure. So... <laughs> I appreciated that, even though I did know that spiders, like arachnids, are not part of that group. Right. Yes. Um, And then here's another really weird scene, because Marco comes into this, and the plan has been done without him. Like, normally we see them all kind of round-tabling this and, like, tossing ideas back and forth. But basically Marco's like, I slept in, and Axe isn't here because he has to go. And they're doing this spider thing. I had no input in this. We're just going to draw straws. And whoever gets the shortest one has to be the spider. And the first thing he does is draw the shortest straw. So it's like, it was a very weird planning meeting. But basically yeah. Marco's going to be the spider. And then they cut to the next scene where they're flying. They're flying out to the sharing outing. This is all happening very quickly at this point. Um, and that was another thing about this book. The pacing was like fast, slow, fast, slow. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It was, it, it never caught me off. Like I didn't think it was inappropriately done. It's just when I was writing it out, I was noticing that was happening. Yeah. It's fun. Um, did they, did they, did Marco acquire the spider yet? Yes. Yeah. He acquired that was it. in the, yeah. In the, Cassie, the straw drawing scene. Yeah. She had it in that scene. So he acquired she, the spider. Okay. But. So here's the thing. She held out the spider in her hand. She said, this is a wolf spider. I'm like, they're venomous. What are you doing? Unless she has like the magic touch with wolf spiders that she does with skunks. Like. But it's like bee sting level, right? Not like. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not. It's not deadly. I looked this up. Um, but I mean, they'll still bite you when threatened. And it's still not a great sort of bite to have. Um, so I was slightly concerned that she was just holding a wolf spider. Um, we actually had one in our house, like, last week. It was up in the ceiling. They're, they're fucking nice. big. What I was more concerned about, though, was the fact that when Marco went to acquire the spider and touch it, it moved in her hand. So she closed her hand over the spider and Marco's finger like a fucking creep. 
<laughs> got your finger. Yeah, like when she, when the scene was like when I was picturing it in my mind, like he goes to touch her hand. I'm miming this out, even though no one can see this because this is audio only. So like he touches it, spider moves. She just gently closes her hand over his finger. Like imagine doing that to your friend. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> That's really weird. Now I'm afraid someone's going to hear this that listens to our podcast and knows me, and the next time I see them, they're going to gently grab my finger, and I'm going to be like, Ugh. Don't do this thing. Don't do this. Why would you do this thing to me? Wait, would you let me do it? I mean, yeah, but I still wouldn't like it. <laughs> you would tolerate it? I would tolerate it. I would tolerate it from anybody because it's not crossing that creepy line where it's like we can no longer associate but i would not enjoy it <laughs> i just don't want reason it. how upset you're getting over. <laughs> well like i i don't know it's already weird when people go to shake your hand and like they have a really loose grip and like because i just go for it right like and i'm like you got to go for the hand. You got to like do that. Th- like it's already weird when they grab your hand, they have a loose grip or like you go to do like the two pump thing and they just do, they hold their hand steady and they're resisting you. So then you got to do like a half ass, like oh, one and a half. Yeah. Like, so this is like that discomfort magnified times a thousand because what they're doing is like they have their hand flat. You touch their hand expecting them to hold it flat because this is the agreement that we physically agreed upon when we entered into this interaction. And then what they do, like a fucking creep, is gently close their fingers on your single finger. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like this. This is your your Marco grocery moment. (laughs) This is... This is what's creeping me out. (laughs) Yet again, in a Marco book, somebody has a meltdown or something unexpected. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. It's just so weird, though. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do this thing to me. Oh, no. Oh, God. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to have that meltdown. No, I just that's amazing. <laughs> Please don't ever do that. Anyone that listens to this podcast and that knows me or will if you ever meet me if you don't know me, which would just be fucking insane. But if you do, please don't grab my finger and gently close all of your fingers on <laughs> it. <laughs> and if you do, I will probably laugh because that would be a really weird, like, throwback. But also, I will be creeped out. Very deeply uncomfortable. I will be so deeply uncomfortable. (laughs) And so will the person grabbing my fingers because I will be so uncomfortable. I will transfer (laughs) that to them and be like, now do you know how this feels? (laughs) It's so weird. Okay, but here's the thing, though. Okay. They would have to, just anytime someone holds out their palm flat to you, just, like, walk away. Because you know (laughs) what you're getting yourself into. They have to set up this exchange in order for it to go through. If you just do not engage, just be like, I can't help you, you need to leave, you're fine. You're Okay, but, like, what if this sets me up for an event sometime where, like, I don't know, I go to, like, 
a store or something and somebody goes to hand me something small in the flat of their palm and I just like flip the fuck out at that. I'm like, I will not engage with the terrorism that I'm seeing here. And I just walk away and they're like, what the fuck just happened here? Like, who is this unstable person? And they like, because I'm, we're never going to meet anybody that listens to this if we don't already know them. Like, the, it it will just be a moment of me yelling at a stranger in a store who is just trying to hand me something nicely. <laughs> like, oh, yes, here's the pee that you asked for. <laughs> like, I'm not taking that oh. shit. You can't make me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Although it did just occur to me when I was yelling about this and imagining the scenario that what I could do is just gently hold my hands out into a cup below their hand and then uh-huh. they just have to tip it. Okay. 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 Got it. (laughs) So, anyways. Okay. So. Oh man. Wow. That yeah. I'm sorry. It's just. It's it's okay. I'm sorry. We all have our our things that upset us. (laughs) Mine is groceries. Yours is that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's such a scenario that you would never come across, and they're like. I have never had this scenario happen to me in all of my years of living. I've never even come close. So this is really a non-issue. Oh my god. (laughs) So, they are all birds. And they are flying to this place where the sharing is having their water skiing event. And, um... The only thing of note that happens during this flight out there is the conversation about where their mask goes when they morph something small. Oh my god. And uh, Axe tells them that their extra mask goes out into Z-space. And the reason that Axe thinks about this sometimes when they're morphing small things is because he's, as he says, worried about his extra mass because it's just hanging out in Z-space and that's where uh, ships that are traveling, like faster than light speed travel go through and if they do come too close they can sometimes obliterate their mass which would be problematic as you might imagine so here is my boyfriend's question his question is that explains why they can get smaller but how can they get bigger they take matter out of z space whose matter just anyone's just universal matter universal matter yeah, like anything that's in there, they like use to create their own mass. It's the push and pull system. Okay. I'm just telling you what's written. I'm not okay. saying it scientifically I mean, sounds. That 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 keeps in line with the matter cannot be created or destroyed, but how do you convert molecules into different whatever? Okay. I'll accept it. Theoretically. Okay. I'm just going to play with this for a minute because I've kind of thought about it, and the basis that we can always come back to is it makes no sense. But okay. uh, <laughs> this is fake science. This is fake science. This this could go on our fake science or our science of animorphs podcast. We could get in oh, depth yeah. with this. Yeah. So now we have two episodes lined up for that podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So Z space, you don't really know what is in there because it's not the complete absence of matter that they're going through like it's not like a wrinkle in time logic where they're going through a stitch in time and there's nothing there matt hates that book because of that yeah i imagine he would 
<laughs> that's in line with <laughs> that's on brand for matt okay. <laughs> um so in z space there's there is matter and things there it's not in any sort of solid state um gotcha yeah so theoretically we all of these parts could be there and they're just pulling it together into the bigger mass of the form that they're turning into Okay, I'm picturing, like, like a junkyard, but there's no junk. It's all just, like, atoms of excess mass and that's constantly being pulled in and out of this space. I think that's probably, yeah, that's probably pretty accurate okay. for what we're talking about. Okay, I'll buy that. I wonder, though, if enough people morphed things larger at any given time, if they could actually, like, change the shape of Z-space with their... Which makes sense, because Z space is continually changing. Something to think about. <laughs> what if they run out of matter? Like if everybody morphs something large at morphed once. whales. Or like the giant thing that Visitor 3 morphed in book four. Like if mm-hmm. everybody did that, would they run out of matter? But could they? Because the universe is infinite, theoretically, and ever expanding. Right. Yeah. Both ever expanding and infinite. Oh, tits. This is... My brain. My brain. Bill Nye. Get on this. Get on this shit. I freaked my bean. (laughs) My bean. It got me. Oh, man. If only Stephen Hawking hadn't just passed. Oh, yeah. That was sad. (laughs) But I feel like he also would have, if we sent him this question about Z-Space, been like, what the fuck are you reading? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Maybe maybe he loved Animorphs. We don't know. Oh, my God. What if he did? That would be so amazing. I would love that. What if we had have sent him this question and he sent us a response back, but all it said was, I'm just mad they wasted matter on Marco's haircut. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been amazing. I would have been like, you were a true fan, sir. More than me. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm sad oh. that'll never happen now. I know. Jeez. Not that it would have happened to begin with, but... I mean, you never know. You never know. We never tried. We never did. <sighs> and then, what if we went to go meet him and we went to shake his hand and he just gently closed his claw thing no, on? No, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. So, uh... That conversation happens, and then Jake makes X promise to take back part of his promise to tell them everything they want to know, and says, if anything this terrifying is said to us before another mission where we're already terrified about going on again, that will be terrible. Please don't do that. He said it much more eloquently than how I just said it. I mean. But basically, I mean, it's the same, right? Yeah. All right, cool. So, Axe and Marco, um, the kids start splitting off as they get closer. Axe and Marco are the last two. They go into part of the bushes that are relatively close to where the sharing thing is happening. They said, like, 100 yards, which, you know, like 300 feet or so. Um, And then Axe asks if they're going to demorph, and Marco says, no, we got to wait for Tobias because he's going to swoop in and check on us one more time. And pretty soon he does, and he says, just the... Watch, because there's a couple in the bushes, like, a couple hundred feet away. But I think they're making out, so you should be good. 
Gross. I, it was a weird detail. I wrote, not sure how to feel about this one. But, yeah. So they're noodling in the bushes. Gross. I know. Is it noodling or canoodling? Canoodling, I think. Okay. They're canoodling in the bushes. Whatever. They start morphing. They go back to their normal shapes. And Marco's very reluctant to get to Spider, but Axe is immediately wanting to go there because being an Andalite right next to a whole bunch of sharing people is not a great look. So they start going Spider. And this was... I thought this was such a delightful morphing description. Like... It was so gross, and I loved it. It's just so good. Like, my favorite part was when all of his eyes start coming out, and he just said, a bunch of extra eyes just started popping out of my forehead like zits. And then he was talking about how, like, they didn't have eyelids, so he couldn't close his eyes and had to watch Axe Morph as, like... Just turn away! He couldn't. <laughs> um, and, like extra spider bits started coming out of him and then he saw like axe's jaw open up into the thing and then they actually like throw out like a spider term here with pedipalps oh i remember that one yeah yeah so i mean that's just why it was cool but yeah um and then the spider brain comes online and marco says as soon as it does he realizes he's dealing with a predator predator which is funny because his last book was called the predator didn't axe make some kind of comment about like Oh, it'll be great being a spider because we'll have eight legs and there's no way we'll <laughs> fall over like a human. Exactly. Yeah, he did. That was earlier when uh, when Axe came over to acquire the spider while Marco was still sleeping. That's when Axe said something like, ah, yes, eight legs, much better than two. <laughs> I love Axe. I love Axe, too. He's the best. Anyways, um, so Axe and Marco get to Spider Morph and Marco gets caught up in chasing this beetle. He's not taken over by the morph. Like, it's not overcoming his his sense. He's just enjoying the, like, kind of buzz he's getting from hunting as a spider and, like, chasing this thing down and jumping on it. And right as he's about to kill it, Axe says, what are you doing? Or, like, stop what you're doing. Something like that. And uh, Marco goes, oh, sorry, I was just overcome with this hunting thing. And Axe goes, we're the exact same spider. I know you're lying to me. And then he makes a, like, comment about how humans disturb him sometimes. I thought that was kind of Marco losing himself in the hunt. I thought that was, that's kind of a Rachel move. Yeah. Just kind of, like, surrendering to the morph a little bit. Yeah, and just enjoying it, riding it out. Yeah. Yeah, again, another, throughout this book, moments where Marco is informed by Rachel. This, I don't think, is necessarily a great example of that, but it does happen throughout the book. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and so Axe is pretty displeased. Um, Jake ends up catching up to them as a fly and says, we gotta find Eric, which they almost immediately do. Um, conveniently. Conveniently. And they're able to see through his hologram, and they see this weird dog paw-looking thing, like an elongated dog leg. And they think that that's super weird. And then they see another one, and they're just like, oh, there's more than one of these things. And then Marco gets eaten by a crow. Hooray! Yeah, and thus begins the really distressing graphic guts part of this book. And Yeah, my immediate thought was, oh god, he has to morph out. Oh no, that yeah. poor crow. Yeah, oh shit, same. it was just trying to eat a spider and now it's, oh god. Yeah. Some Game of Thrones shit. And it wasn't 
something. It was like Game of Thrones because it wasn't like he had to morph out and he, you know, got out alive. It was like, well, I'll, I'll start walking through it because it's a multifaceted thing and I kind of want to capture all the details here. Uh-huh. So, um, Marco gets eaten and he's screaming so everybody can hear him, including all of the controllers. Mm-hmm. And Axe says, everyone can hear you. So Marco, like, he focuses in on just telling Axe. And then he calls out to Tobias that I'm being swallowed. I'm being eaten. And Tobias says, there's a bunch of crows. Like, which one? I can't, like, how do I help? And Marco can feel himself dying. Like, he can feel himself shutting down and losing oxygen. And his legs are broken and things are, you know... Mm-hmm. He can feel his brain starting to shut down. He can't focus on himself. And then he has this last thought of his mom before she was a controller. And he actually compares it to soldiers at war calling out for their mom as they died. God. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> when he has this picture of his mom, his mom is... It's before she was a controller, presumably, because he was a lot younger at this point. And she says, she keeps saying, like, my Marco, my little Marco, you're going to grow up to be so cute, my Marco. And that's how he kind of focuses on himself. And instead of just he kind of comes in and out of consciousness and, like, he finds himself demorphing on the ground, it actually has the experience of he starts to morph out, he feels a pressure, and then he hears this tearing sound. And he comes bursting out of the crow's throat and falls to the ground as like a half spider, half human mess, or probably like three quarter spider, one quarter human mess, bounces on the ground and then starts this weird and slow demorph. Mm. Yeah, it it's really, this isn't an isolated incident in Animorphs books that there are these graphic, graphic descriptions in this children's book. This was just, I think, the first one that's really kind of distressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I was kind of wondering about this with earlier books, like when they were ants and they were stuck underground and they were being torn apart and they're like, we got to demorph out of this small space. Or when they were termites, we need to demorph out of this small space. And I'm like, okay, when does it become not a small space and when does it start becoming an animal because didn't someone else get eaten before this and axe had to cut them out they all got eaten by the taxon in rachel's book. yeah 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 but that was a taxon so it was like you didn't yeah, feel bad right <laughs> but now but that yeah, it's an innocent crow it's like yeah oh, oh. yeah it's sad yeah it was it was sad um, and it kind of made me want to see Cassie's perspective. Oh, God, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we don't. <laughs> it just made me want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, I'll, I'll keep moving on, because we get to come back to some really gross shit later, too. Hooray! <laughs> Yay! Uh, so once Marco's done demorphing, Eric is standing over him, and he doesn't like Marco's hair. <laughs> first comment yeah exactly oh god that's really it he doesn't like marco's hair and then he introduces him to jenny who's the other android as we soon find out and they it's this crazy scene of marco's like fuck 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 he's a controller 
we're doomed. This is it. It's over. And Eric introduces the two. And Marco's like, I don't want to meet her. I don't want to meet the person who is spelling my doom. And then Eric just casually states the Animorph's most guarded secret out loud. He's like, oh, you remember the Andalite Bandalites? Well, this, this is what we think is them. We think they're humans. We think they're fighting. And uh, here's one of them. And he has a bunch of friends who are humans, too. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> watch yourself. Uh, yeah, so he says that out loud. And then he tells Marco to bring the Animorphs to his house. And there's... A little bit of back and forth where Marco's like, how do I know you're not going to turn me in? Why, like, why would I come to your house so you can get all of us at once? And Eric's kind of like, well, Visitor 3 would torture you and would learn who everybody else is. So it doesn't really matter if you come to my house now or later, but we're allies. And then they're like, okay, cool. (laughs) Um, They don't go over the arguments in the book, but they say they debated back and forth for a while. And they decide they have to do the meeting. There's no way around it. Mm. And that's it. And then Marco's having dinner with his dad. So, a little jumpy. But um, he says his dad cooked uh, the height to the absolute height of his cooking skills, which was barbecue. And mm. so he has to have dinner with his dad. And when Marco does have dinner with his dad, he starts asking him a little bit about his job and how his new job's going. Um, since the Yerks were interested, I think Marco's becoming interested. And uh, his dad comes with this really weird blurted out statement of i've never done military work and marco goes oh well why not and we get this really fucking sad scene right now where yeah yeah, where marco's dad goes over how for the last year and a half before his mom died she the relationship that they had was just fantastic it was conflict free they didn't have any fights it was like this pure bliss of just living together and getting along over everything. And Marco has the total opposite reaction of his dad. His heart just drops because he goes, okay, now I know my mom was a controller for about a year and a half before she she died, in quotation marks, and left. And uh, then his dad says, and one night she woke me up, I think it was after a bad dream, and she told me that, it sounded like she was speaking from a well really far away. She told me that, if I didn't get into the military, then they wouldn't take me. It would be okay. And Marco realizes that this wasn't his mom speaking from a nightmare in the exact sense, <laughs> in the <laughs> actual sense, but the nightmare of being a controller. And she mm-hmm. had fought her way through in a moment of the Yerk's weakness to warn him that he cannot work for the military doing this. And it was like every last ounce of strength she had and that the Yerk, Marco's sure that for weeks afterwards, the Yerk would mentally torture her for this breakthrough. So that is their dinner together. Horrible. Family dinner. Yay. Yeah. And that's end scene. It's really sad. Okay. So what happens next? Um, Again, yo-yoing. The kids yeah. head over to Eric's. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. That's why I, I hesitate to be like, oh, yeah, a Marco book. Because then you also remember that it comes with, like, the darkest, most terrible parts of the series. <laughs> uh, yeah. God. Yeah, I wonder maybe 
from a weird psychological perspective, if maybe that's why I enjoy Rachel's books the most, because they feel the safest being nuzzled in that rage constantly, where sure. danger never feels like danger because you're angry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the kids head over to Eric's house. Um, they decided they're just going to put themselves completely in their hands. They said they're allies. They have them backed into a corner. What can they do? So they head over there, uh, and they leave Rachel and Tobias outside to be the cavalry in case they get something terrible happens to them while they're inside there. But Marco, Cassie, Jake, and Axe go in. Axe is in his human morph when they get there. They knock on the door. Mr. King, who is Eric's dad, lets them in. And uh, there's this immediate rapport between him and Cassie because Cassie starts petting the dog and he he says something to her like, oh, you like dogs? And she says, if reincarnation were real, I'd like to come back as a dog. And that Cassie's in. She's like, that's good. <laughs> and uh, the rest of them are just noticing how normal the house is, like how there's like grocery lists and somebody left checks Mix out on the counter and... Everything seems really normal for being this very weird house. And then mm-hmm. he invites them into the basement. Axe Creepy. starts... Yeah, I know, right? That's where they keep the serial killer tools. <laughs> <laughs> so Axe starts demorphing because he's worried that there's going to be danger. Marco agrees with this assessment. And once they get into the basement, the basement floor starts dropping. And Mr. King turns around and is 0% surprised by Axe being an Andalite. Um, they get to the bottom of the basement drop, which they said felt like four or five floors. The wall that had stuff hanging on it disappears, and they see a long hallway. They go to the end of the hallway, the next wall disappears, and they're in a giant fucking dog park. Yay! Yay! There's puppies everywhere. There's trees. I want to live there. I know, right? Sounds amazing. And they tell them that they are the Chi, and they love dogs. I love this book. I thought you dog dog park. <laughs> I thought you might like this book. I did. <laughs> so there's puppies everywhere. They say mutts of every type running around. My favorite part was like the descriptors instead of being like there was German shepherds and golden retrievers. They're like there was yip yips and bow wows and bork borks and like and boofs <laughs> and boofs. <laughs> <laughs> It was the we best talking, dog description. Who was I talking to? We were talking about our favorite dog noises. And I, I said Bork was my favorite. And then someone was like, I like Boof. And I'm like, okay, I'm changing it to Boof. I this is a very important conversation. Know. This is a very important conversation. I don't know, but that is... I know that we have had a conversation before about dog noises. And that was brought up in it. But I don't think I... I mean, I certainly wasn't the one who told you about that. Yes. Boof. Boof. <laughs> this is very relevant. Anyway, puppies everywhere. Puppies everywhere. Yes. And then Eric decides to just like you like we already know all about you, so let me tell you about us. And we get the creation of the cheese story. Um so originally there were the Pemelites, who were these dog type race. They're about four furries. feet tall. Furries. <laughs> Kind of. They, I, I actually picture them in my head more like um, like Jim Henson puppets. Oh, really? Yeah. I just got full furry. Right, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I kind of just imagine them like weird, like scruffy, like hunched over dog 
toad people. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> the the description is they look kind of like a dog. Like they have a muzzle, they have elongated dog legs, they have like stubby fingers. They're just long floppy ears and long, shit. Yeah, long floppy ears. Very just very dog like. And they, the Pemelites were already traversing the galaxy at light speed when the Andalites were still working on lighting fires and the humans were still hairy apes that had not even evolved yet. And this dog race was just so happy-go-lucky. They had lost, they were so far evolved that they had lost any sort of like danger feelings or anger feelings or any sort of useless, <laughs> I guess. feelings. Yeah. Any useless evolutionary traits, as they so say. Um, they love to laugh and play and tell jokes. And one of their favorite things was when they created an android that could tell a joke. So they would not have liked Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then one day, while this was, they were living this whole Eden of a life and this like wonderful planet with all these great things and funny androids that they built to play with. They were attacked and slaughtered by the Howlers. Um, a few of them escaped. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just picturing the Howlers from Harry Potter. Oh no. I, I was trying to like imagine it's like Howlers, where have I heard that before? They were attacked by billions of angry letters. That just screamed at them in the yes. shape of lips. Yes. Oh, that's sad. That's <laughs> sad. <laughs> oh no. Anyway. Terrible anyway. departure. Howlers killed them all, committed terrible genocide. They did. And I don't think they give us a good description of Howlers here, but they're terrifying. Anyways, yeah, the Howlers knock out most of the Pemelites. They do remember their visit to Earth, and so that's when they decide that they will come back to Earth. And there's only six Pemelite survivors that come with them. Um, All of them ended up dying... Uh, they landed kind of around the dawn of civilization. They're very, very old. And the six Pemelites that, that were there were not able to save the, the race. They all died out. But the Chi... From disease, right? I think, well... Didn't they say the Howlers also had this, like, sickness disease that they spread to the... I don't oh, believe no. that was because of the Howlers. But yeah, they did not live. And they were also, like, older and just not... They could not have saved the species. Um, so the Pamelites, they, they died on Earth, and the Chi wanted to preserve part of them somehow. And so they found the bodies that were most similar to them, and that was wolves. And thusly, they created dogs by attaching the Chi's feeling, humanity, whatever you want to call it, essence to the dogs. Uh... What do you think of this? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those kind of, it strikes me as one of those moments of, this is how it really happened. Like, science will tell you that, that wolves started hanging out with humans because humans were, like, giving them scraps or whatever, and then over time they became domesticated. I don't know if that's, like, actually the theory anymore, but, um, that's what it was for a while. Yeah. Now it's like... Dogs were created because the Pemelites, Im- or the Chi imbibed the souls of the Pemelites. And I'm like, um, how, though? <laughs> like, the thing with the Chi, like, throughout this entire book, was 
I was like, okay, this is these were androids created by the Chi for them to play with. Mm-hmm. And yet they're like super duper strong. They have these like holographic abilities. Like they have all these like weirdly convenient powers and abilities. Yeah. That didn't really make sense to me. And this and this is kind of what like I just felt like with the with the Chi a lot of stuff that happened with them was just for convenience sake. So that was kind of my only issue with the chi and that's like jumping ahead a little bit but i i, I don't know i i wasn't super duper a fan of of the whole they created domesticated dogs thing personally <laughs> i didn't think you would be that's why i asked yeah the i mean the hologram stuff seems pretty convenient but the strength they kind of explained like they're like the gravity on their planet was oh, four times stronger yeah so. yeah that's true that's true um but yeah, the, the holograph stuff and the, we can take this thing and rewrite our programming. Oh, I, I God. That's... Why are they so super smart and, and just, they're so OP, basically. But their sole purpose was to be created to be a companion or a plaything. I'm just going to play devil's advocate here because. Okay, yeah. Why not? Um, but <laughs> they were created as a plaything, but they were never intended like as a toy so wouldn't it make sense to make an android that could think for itself and surprise you and be as i almost said human like but pema like like as possible which is already a hyper intelligent race like you could look at this two ways one the pamelites were kind of they're trying to bring them to the same intelligence level or the chi were they're trying to bring the chi to the same intelligence level as the pamelites or Two, the Chi are blithering idiots in comparison to the Pemelites. And I guess, I, I don't quite remember, like, apart from they wanted companions, why the Pemelites made the Chi? That was it. They just wanted companions. That, that was it. So mm-hmm. why not just, like, breed more Pemelites? Because children are fun. Like, why, were, why weren't they content just, like, playing with each other and having babies and playing with them? Why did they have to make this, like, new race to play with? You know? Maybe they couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't what? They couldn't have babies? Yeah, or at least not at a heightened rate. I'm Maybe. trying to think of what is factual from the books, because this is not one of the species I have a really broad memory of. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more reserved for, like, I know, I remember a lot about, like, the hork and the Yurks and the Andalites, but I believe we do revisit this, like, way fucking later in the series. But just in passing, like, it's not something we really harp on or is close. So, here's the other thing. Mm-hmm. If the Pemelites are hyper-intelligent, mm-hmm. if, if she had said, like, if she had likened it to a god that wanted to create a thing just because, like, it could, and just because, like, it, it wanted to... If it was, like, a god created the chi in his image type situation, like, I can understand that. I can yeah. buy that. But it didn't overtly seem to be the case. I don't... I mean, I don't know. It really sounds like they just made them to have kind of companions around them and that there's no Mm -hmm. other purpose to them which is 
in a way, kind of more, it's more interesting than creating an Android to do work for you or to automate something. Like, yeah, we always see that. Like, even Data was like that in, in Star Trek. But to create something in your image just to have it around is kind of like a beautiful chaos almost. Well, yeah, and, and I can't really harp on it because, like, we're artists. Like, we make things that we <laughs> don't have to make. We make things purely for our own enjoyment and our own, you know, aesthetic pleasure. You mean, like, this entire podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is art. Um, I wouldn't go that yeah, far. It is. It is. And it's, 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 it's a it's, thing we'll that doesn't it. need to exist except to entertain and keep us company. <laughs> True, okay. But that's, you know, that's art. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm not arguing with that point. I'm, I'm just likening it to the chi. <laughs> yeah, we get, um, a fun history of how long the chi have been on Earth, which is forever. They helped build the pyramids. Um, actually, that kind of gave us a timeline, because they said they were around when the pyramids were being built and they were just learning how to be human so like they had to be careful not to use their full strength um and then the party i jumped ahead a little bit there but the party gets broken up by another chi coming over who looks angry and her name is maria which is i guess an angry name it just makes me think of the sound of music but whatever oh i thought of uh, west side story <laughs> But we both thought of musicals, so it's fine. We did. (laughs) Okay, good. We're on the same-ish page. Oh, jeez. So um, she apologizes to the Animorphs and lets them know she's mad at Eric. She's not mad at them uh, because Eric and his friends have a terrible plan. And they tell Maria and the Animorphs basically everything. And they say, we've infiltrated the sharing. We know what the Yerks are doing. We know they've got a Pemolite crystal, which is very a very powerful crystal. Christopher, crystal from mm-hmm. the Pemelites. And uh, with that crystal, they Yerks are planning on taking over every computer in the world. And so they want to get a bit. I know. I know. The Yerks were behind Y2K, just so everyone oh, knows. God. What if that was like, the Yerks are like, oh, we got to spread around this rumor that all computers are going to shut down because they'll all go back to zero, zero, zero. And they're like, that's when we'll hit the button to take over all the computers. But then somebody fucked up the wiring. That (sighs) was literally the only thing I thought of as soon as they said that. I was like, oh my God, that's That's incredible. Yeah, because these are being published. I believe this one was uh, already 1999. So this would have been great time. It was 98 or 99. Oh my god. Oh shit. He's dying. That's I didn't even think of that. I didn't even put it into context of the era. Damn it. <laughs> You're like an idiot now. No. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. So anyways, um they go through this whole thing. They they show them how um Eric has the yerk in his head and he basically yerked the yerk. <laughs> <laughs> He tapped into the Yerk's brain. He's like, I gamed the system and I took his memories and now he's experiencing what I want him to and I'm making a hologram and feeding him Kendrona rays I make in my head. That's that's the other yeah. kind of moment where I was like, what the fuck, really? Like, they are able to make Kendrona rays. That's way too convenient. Yeah, it really uh, is. Uh, whatever. It truly is. Yeah. 
but that's how it's happening. Um, and then Eric kind of reveals the, the master stroke of his plan. And that is, if they get this Pamelite crystal, then they're able to rewrite their programming. And that's, the Pamelites um, program the Chi to never do anything violent. They can never harm anything. Mm-hmm. And they Eric's, peaceful. Yeah, yeah, they're totally peaceful. And Eric's master plan is that he's going to rewrite the, the his own programming so that he can join the fight and help the Animorphs win this battle against the Yerk. Because if the Yerks take over the human race, then no one will take care of the dogs. Seems solid. <laughs> solid call. Solid. Oh, man. So I, at this point, if you had not read the rest of the book, bring yourself into this exact moment of when you were reading. If you could choose to help the Chi overwrite their programming or to stay as they are with a nonviolence disclosure, which would you choose at this point in the book? Hmm. So, I mean, the Animorphs have this conversation, like, a little bit later. Yeah. And, like, before this moment, I had always said, like, I think of all the Animorphs, I'm the most, like, like Cassie in terms of, like, how I view things. Mm-hmm. But Cassie is solidly in the camp of, like, we shouldn't ruin their their souls and we shouldn't have them fight for us and like you know go against everything they believe in basically yeah but the fact is they are so so op and well i guess the other thing is that like if eric wanted to do it i'd be like yeah dude come on join us um and if the other chi didn't want to i'd be like okay you guys don't join us, you know, continue doing what you're doing. Right. So I, I, I would say, like, it should be volunteer-based. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I would I would be all for them, like, rewriting and and, and helping out. Because that, like, they, they seem like such a really good ally. Yeah. And, and the group is feeling kind of overwhelmed with the fact that there's only six of them fighting and the Andalites aren't going to get there for a while. So mm-hmm. I would have said yes. All right. Good to know. What about you? Well, I would have said yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm probably not a good judge of this, but, like, I'm all for, in the moment, you do what has to be done. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, uh, the premise of this book, or, like, one of the main themes in this book is do you sell your soul to to do what needs to be done? And my answer to that, I think even in, like, day-to-day life is always yes. Like, if you have to work forever because something needs to go out, you just work until it's done. You do what you have to do at the great sacrifice of your own time and sleep schedule and so on and so oh, forth no. and everything. And I think it just... No. Well, I... That's... I'm just doing a very small scale example of a very large scale idea Uh of like, I think I would also go along this lines in this situation because that's kind of how I break it down every day. So yeah, I, I think I probably would have been from the get go. Yes. Yeah. 
but I also don't think I would have argued yes for the same reasons that the Animorphs who voted yes do. Because yeah. it's a very weirdly personal thing. So I'll I'll kind of skip through this next part so we can get to more of this conversation. But basically, what they find out is this pomelite crystal is kept in this, like, James Bond-type room with, like, lasers going across in total darkness and blah, blah. So they have to bust into this place to get it. Um, but the Animorphs say, like, let's talk amongst ourselves about this decision. So that's leading to, like, exactly what we're talking about here. Um, and Rachel says yes. Um and it's Jake and Marco saying yes. And the reason... Rachel doesn't really give her own reason. We assume it's because Rachel is yes. <laughs> but yeah. Jake says, my brother's a controller. I'll do whatever to save my brother. And I don't agree with that. Like, I know you want to save your brother. And that is your main call to action. But you should be saying yes because of the entire human race. Like, I was uncomfortable yeah. with how personal this was. And then Marco yeah. says the same thing about his dad. Which, like, because, maybe it's just because it's Marco's book and because we know, like, his fresh, like, rage about the fact that he thinks he's going to lose his dad as mm -hmm. well as his mom. But, like, I can, I can see Marco's reason being more personal even if we didn't know that. Yeah. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Jake should be thinking about the human race in the bigger picture. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. Like, I could almost forgive... I could almost understand it if it was just Marco doing it. But the two of them, like, it just... It was uncomfortable. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then, on the flip side of that, Cassie says that she doesn't want to do this because she's Cassie, basically. Um, mm -hmm. And then Axe doesn't explain himself, but just says, I'm uncomfortable with this. Like, this doesn't seem right. Well, because it's because of um, uh, the guy. The, <laughs> the guy. The, kind, the kindness guy. Zero's kindness. Yeah, law Zero's of Zero's kindness. kindness. Yeah, like interfering with other races and meddling in their affairs, right? I mean, yeah, I think that's totally the basis of why he says this, because he's grown up with this law. But, like, when it when he actually says it, he just says, I'm uncomfortable with this. Like, he doesn't yeah. say, due to the honor of my people and Ciro's <laughs> kindness. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Tobias is also no. And he they kind of throw it at him, like, you're in a predator-prey dynamic. Why the hell are you saying no of all people? You live this reality on, like, a day-to-day -day basis of how, you know, harsh nature can be. And Tobias just says, but what if it wasn't? Like, it's just this dreamer stance of like, but what if we could just live in this chi world where everything's happy and joyous and all that sort of stuff? Like, it was, I just thought it was a, a interesting stance from him. Like, he took the Cassie route more than Cassie did, I think. Right. And, and yeah, in the last book, the last book was about that basically you know cassie being mad at him about eating the the skunk baby mm -hmm. and him being like well cassie that's the reality like right I, I have to eat i have to be a predator yeah and cassie and, wrestling with that in her yeah. own head mm -hmm. and then him kind of flipping a little bit on on this point i'm like okay did did what did cassie's point of view actually kind of get to him a little bit like why 
why did he go like the less predictable route with this? It almost feels like their their different sides got to each other. Like yeah, it Cassie like she says the thing like you know Tobias is like I have to eat. She's like well okay yeah Tobias has got to eat, but just maybe don't touch these possum babies because they're really cute. And he's like yeah fine like. That interaction in this one is almost like, like, I feel like there's a missing story that we didn't get in the middle of these books where Cassie Mm -hmm. and Tobias came together and just kind of, like, talked about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, I would like to see that story. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but that's totally, like, the last predictable route. And it's really interesting to see... I don't know if I would have noticed before if we weren't talking about this, that kind of Cassie-Tobias alliance that's happening in the background here. Oh, um, I did have another question. Oh, yeah, um, Eric says that he mentions, like, how he's able to, um, fool the Yerks and the controllers into thinking that he is a controller because he's able to project... A holographic image of the Yerk coming out of his head yeah. and swimming around in the Yerk pool. And then he mentions that Yerks communicate very little in their natural states. Yes. And that made me think of, I don't remember the Yerk's name, from Axe's book, the one that decided to turn against Fisher 3 because he was in love with another Yerk. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so did that happen like while they were both controllers? Because I, I was under the impression that but I guess I guess it makes sense that Yerks can't really communicate when they're just slugs. Because they don't have mouths, right? Or do they communicate psychically? Like, I don't know. They uh, communicate sonically. I don't think that's sonically. a spoiler because I think they say that in this book. Like, through, like, high-pitched squeaks and stuff. But they don't have, like, a language, per se. Okay. Okay. Um, as for... I don't know how much I want to get into this. Uh, spoiler kind of um not really just a theory that's kind of discussed in depth later in the series um but i'll try to give you a taste of it right now because we've already had a little bit of a taste of it is how i'll logic this to myself um but parts of let me back into this so as they've said throughout the series the human race they consider them to be very passionate and very um, emotional, like more so than any other race in the galaxy. And okay. you remember from Jake's book that Yerks and humans, they there's when they're infested, there's kind of an exchange a little bit of traits. Like, you know how we mm. said afterwards, like Jake maybe got a little bit of the swagger from the Yerk that he didn't have yeah. before? So you so, think the, the Yerk that fell in love with the other Yerk got the human kind of emotional... Yeah, I think that could have been part of it. Like, when they were both controllers together, that kind of created a fondness between them. Oh. That's my theory. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. They're interesting. The the whole dynamic is interesting. Like, I could read so much just about, like, the ideas of, like, human and yerk interactions in their head and like we get a little bit of that like in jake's book but like Mm -hmm. i could just read this whole thing about how it physically changes both of them how it mentally changes both of them like what is what 
in what capacity does it cause the yerk to keep this or the human to keep that and for how long and like does it as a permanent fix like you know i i have so many things i want to talk about <laughs> i also want to know how yerks reproduce ah we find out i can't tell you oh, okay, okay okay it's really really cool but i can't tell you okay all right where were we oh. yes okay so we were talking about how the animorphs were um discussing like what to do about the chi mm-hmm. we completely skipped the part where they left the basement came upstairs <laughs> rachel went full leroy jenkins barreled into the house and fucking got owned by mr king yes <laughs> yep he he had her in a full nelson as a 10 oh foot tall grizzly bear oh my god yeah oh no she must have been so angry Yes, and that they were saying she was roaring in rage and frustration. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, Oh, man. Yeah, and then they come up, and they're all yelling, like, Rachel, knock it off! (laughs) So, yeah. Then she morphs out of that once she realizes they weren't in any danger. She yells at them a little about, like, you guys were gone for way too long, but that's about it. All right. Shall we get into the final loop of this book? It's the final countdown. All right. So, so Marco uh, is worried about his dad being poached by Matcom. Um, the Chi reveals that that is owned by Yerks and something else about Tom. I don't know why I wrote that down. They need to do this to save the world. Blah, blah, blah. So their plan to get past all of these James Bond-esque things is from Cassie, again, like, doing awesome in this book, and it's a bat, because they can fly in total darkness, they have echolocation, they can see all the trip lasers and shit that's in the room, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be awesome. Their plan is to practice morphing the bat and then going the following weekend, so, um, the cutscene is that we're, we have Marco doing his math homework at home because, again, they're doing fucking math. Goddamn Animorphs and their math. <laughs> pushing um, their math agenda. Yeah, pushing their math agenda once again. And Marco gets a call from Eric on his phone. And Eric says, hey, Marco, you know that thing that we were planning on doing next weekend? Can we move that up to tonight? And Marco's like, all right, sounds good. I'll let Jake know. But, like, internally he's panicking because the thing they were going to do is this break-in. So um, Marco calls Jake, and the plan is set. They all wind up at the barn late that night after their parents think they've gone to bed. And Eric the Chi is the last one to show up. So Eric kind of pushes them to immediately vote on whether or not they're going to do this mission. Because remember, they walked away... Um, having the discussion that Casey and I just had about uh, whether they're going to do it or not, and they're a split 50-50 vote right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So Tobias immediately backs out, says, I can't vote because I'm no help on this mission, and they just say he can't do anything at night and leave it at that. (laughs) Yay! Yay! Um, And the rest of them vote, and basically they're in the same positions until Marco goes on this rampage about how his dad is going to be taken by Matcom and that he just, he has to save his dad. They, they all this, I don't think he says anything about his mom again, because he still doesn't want the other animals to know. 
but all the stuff about his dad, and then he th- has this throwaway line about anybody that wants to sit this out, I don't blame them, but I'm going. And Cassie gets really affronted by this, and she says, obviously I'm going, I'm not going to sit this one out. And uh, then as Eric starts explaining everything he knows, Marco is thinking, oh shit, we're going over the edge, and everything's terrible. Mm-hmm. He's very concerned. He said he would have changed his vote to no if he had have known what Eric was going to tell him about Matcom. So the kids head over to the building. Uh, they say it's hard to find, but they make it there. And they have directions from Eric with how to climb through the vents. There's a pretty funny interaction where they say something about, like, Eric said it was the northwest or the southwest corner. Cassie says, it was northwest. And then Marco goes, great, where's that? And Axe laughs because he thinks it's a joke. And then he's horrified <laughs> when he finds out they have no sense of direction. Aw. Yeah. So, um, the plan is for Axe and Marco to morph spiders. They're going to make a web rope down that the cockroaches can come down on and get them closer to the edges. Everybody but Axe and Marco are cockroaches. So they start spinning their web, they go down the pipe, they run out, they just cut their- cut the web, drop down, cockroaches all follow. They're good. So far, so Exoskeletons! Yeah. And being tiny and bouncing. Yes. Yeah, so they're crawling through the furnace. They have directions from Eric, so they know, like, vaguely where to go within this furnace system. And everything's going fine until someone points out the furnace could come on. And then they're like, what are the chances of that? It's pretty warm outside. Cool. So they, yeah, right? Famous last words. Yeah. So they keep going, and suddenly there's a rat behind them. So they start running as fast as they can, which unfortunately is not faster than the rat. But they drop down part of the shaft that they have to go down. It stuns the rat for a second, so they get ahead. And then they get to this weird part of the the pipe stuff that they're crawling through. The ducks. There we go. The ducks that they're crawling through. And it's this weird glowing thing. And Marco says it smells like danger. It's very weird. They go through there. And it's Jake that figures it out first and says, we're, we're in the actual furnace. Like, the weird glowing is the pilot light. And we are on the gas part right now. And Marco goes, okay, this is fine, so long as it doesn't kick on. Of course it does. Because immediately. Immediately. Immediately after saying that, he and Cassie get blown forward, and it's it's all bad. So um, they live through it, and Axe actually thanks the rat for chasing them, because if they were going over that furnace part, even a few seconds later, they all would have been killed. Yeah. So Axe is pretty pumped. They make it into the room with the directions that Eric gave them, and fell... They, like, come in through the wall, fall down, and there's two feet on the outside of the wall that doesn't have any, like, lasers or anything around it that's that's doing it. So they're, like, hugging the wall, they demorph, and then they go to bat. And it's, like, the coolest thing ever. Marco makes an awesome Star Wars joke about using the Force Cassie Skywalker, <laughs> which I laughed at. But using echolocation, they can see everything crystal clear, and it's awesome. Um, yes. Marco goes first because he made a terrible joke. And then Marco says, I have a bad feeling about this, which is another Star Wars joke. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So Great. It is good. Um, so they make it through with his echolocation and his bat brain. He's able to dodge very easily. They make it to the podium that the crystal is on. And uh, all of the other Animorphs follow without a glitch. So they're riding high, feeling good. 
And then they're like, well, how are we going to grab the crystal? And I think it's Cassie that says, no problem. We can carry it in our mouths. And Jake goes, okay, I'll do it. And then they realize they can't echolocate with it in their mouths. Things have gone badly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They decide the only way out is with all of their firepower. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel goes grizzly. Jake goes tiger. Axe is himself. Cassie's a wolf. Marco goes big Jim, grabs the crystal, and Rachel charges through a steel door and somehow splinters it. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Her go-to move. So now alarms are blaring, doors are broken, things are shattered. Rachel's just charging through things. She charges through the next set of doors, which I believe were wood, if that's important to you. And they, <laughs> <laughs> I know. And they end up in a room where there's like two dozen hork and controllers with machine guns. So they're all like, great, we're fucking dead. This one middle-aged woman controller steps forward and is telling them to ready their, their weapons. And then Marco just holds up the crystal to show her. She freaks out. She's like, put the guns away, put the guns away. This is fucked up. And uh, someone's like, but we have them cold. We have them here. And she goes, if you shoot the crystal, we are in so much trouble. That is worth more than the blade ship and all of our lives and everything we've owned combined. And they're like, that's unlikely that we will hit the crystal when shooting. And she goes, then you can explain that to Visor 3. And uh, they decide not to. Because Visor 3 is not so understanding as a person. And what she does instead is send the hork forward. Now there's like 24 of them. 24 hork Shit is not going to go well. They come at the Animorphs. And right from the get-go, it's a horrific bloodbath. Like, they are just losing. Marco almost immediately gets his stomach slashed open and can see his own organs coming out of his stomach. Um, he does manage to choke out one hork which is slashing at his arm, and he kind of looks around for a moment. He sees Jake fighting Cassie with, like, blood coming out of her muzzle from, like, attacking everybody. Rachel's just barreling through people, like, doing what she can, getting slashed up. And then Marco gets stabbed in the heart by a hork and he looks up and he can see Eric on the other side of the glass just looking at him horrified and he decides with his dying breaths he's gonna crawl over to him and try to give him the crystal and uh, he's actually assisted a little bit by a hork who kicks him and slides him into the glass and with his last breath and everything he has in him he smashes through the glass and drops the crystal right by Eric Marco then blacks out, so we don't really know what happens until he's suddenly being slapped and told to demorph. So Marco does. He demorphs. He's outside. He's not in the building. He's not in the middle of this fight. And so he's, like, riding high, giddy. He's like, oh, my God, I lived. I'm a human. This is great. He starts, like, just celebrating and being really joyous. And no one else is. Um, Eric is just bawling in the background, like, crying, cannot control himself and they tell him eric single-handedly destroyed all of the hork and all of the controllers and marco starts laughing like yeah so great and nobody's laughing with him right and it finally hits home for marco when he looks at rachel and rachel is crying and i think she was the only one that admits that she witnessed what happened and what eric did 
We mm-hmm. don't ever find out. All we know is that in about 10 seconds, Eric destroyed every single person and cork in that room. Um, everybody but the Animorphs. And, like, there's just this giant hole blown in the side of the building. And Eric is just destroyed. And he's asking him, how do you get over this? How do you do this? Like, what do I do, basically? Like, begging Marco, tell me how to get over this. And Marco goes, you forget. You move on. You just you just let it go. And he goes, I'm an android. I remember every single second of my life. Mm-hmm. And it never fades. And Marco mm-hmm. even mentions, like, scar tissue in his brain. Like, oh, it's like a scab healing over. It's like a scar. And Eric doesn't have that. Um, so Eric will never get over it and he's just done something so fundamentally against every belief that he and his creators believe in so he reverts his programming to nonviolence. says i will help you with information when i can but that's all i can do and he hands marco the crystal and says i will never do this again well and he was so willing to do that in the first place yeah like he it was his idea to get the crystal rewrite all their programming and and fight in this war and now that he's actually like seen it and done it he oh man yeah that's harsh yeah it it destroyed him (laughs) it yeah it destroyed everything he believed in and and was i mean that's a huge part of their programming is the nonviolence. That was everything their creators believed in. Like that's they they only liked fun and laughter and jokes and I mean Eric came at this from a place of wanting to help and wanting to to save and preserve what he could of their creators, but he did not make the correct decision. Yeah. So how reading the rest of the book with knowing this would that have changed your answer to no or would you still have liked to try telling the cheat to fight oh no i don't know oh man oh god that's hard yeah i don't know i don't have an answer i i am almost more pissed that it happened and now that you've seen what this potential ally of yours can do that you'll never have them on your side it's like so from eric personally i i my heart goes out to him i feel horrible i would never want to do this to him again Mm -hmm. but on the other hand this is the biggest fuck you to the animorphs ever Like, fuck you. You go fight. You go risk your life. You go live with these nightmares. You live with this horror knowing what you've done. It was too much for me, so I'm just going to go back to rewriting my programming and being who I was. And it's like, dude, are you fucking serious? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know. It, It would... I have mixed feelings on this, but I also can totally sympathize with Eric having to live with this horror for the rest of life of his life and this shaping him in a terrible mm-hmm. way and i don't want him to go through that but at the same time you're making everybody else like all the other animals yeah. go through that and yeah, it's, it's gonna not... be worse yeah and it's like these these guys are kids you know like they they didn't come from 
a place of cruelty. So it's not like, oh, this is just business as usual. Like, they, their innocence is dead, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not just you. <laughs> it was absolutely, like, their innocence got taken away, and it was just that they dealt with it, and they moved on, and they did what they had to do anyways. And you, this adult million year old creature that was built by this highly intelligent race you're still so selfish that you can't help out and you can't take this you can't take the fighting that fucking six children are taking of races Mm -hmm. that you think are inferior or species that you think are inferior like fuck you dude (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I have very, I really yo-yo between both ends of the spectrum because I like, I don't know. I've already said it. I really, my heart goes out to Eric, but at the same time, how fucking dare you? Again, fucking kids have to stand up for the right fucking thing to do because adults are once again dropping the ball. Holds up decades later. <laughs> uh. <laughs> anyway, I got heated. I got, I just got really mad. I got actually more angry than I normally do over this. Like normally, I I can keep that contained within my person, but this time I got really mad. Was this your mini rant that you were talking about earlier? No, actually, that's. Let me go into my mini rant. So how we end this book is Jake and Marco are at the beach with Homer. And they're kind of, like, marveling over how amazing the the Pemelite home planet would be with all of these happy-go-lucky dogs, and dogs are awesome, and all this sort of stuff. And they're just talking about how Homer's running around, catching frisbees, interacting with other dogs, blah, blah, blah. And then Marco um, brings up that he still has the crystal, and he doesn't know what to do with it. So he takes it out of his pocket, and Homer and the other dogs that he was playing with kind of gather around him, and they're all looking at him, and Marco says he can... He sees this glint of intelligence in their eyes. And so he does apparently the only logical thing. And he hands a fucking crystal to the dog who paddles out (laughs) like, what, 20 feet into the fucking ocean and drops it and then comes back. Oh, my God. And then he says, maybe one day that'll wash up on the fucking beach. Yeah, like 30 seconds later, you idiot. Exactly. Like, dude, the most powerful fucking technology in this book so far and you just let give it to a dog (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) oh no so that was my mini rant oh my god you're right that was so stupid especially for marco the most logical one in the book and he's like oh i'm gonna give it to a dog what if homer had swallowed it what if they had to go to the vet and say, cut this all-powerful crystal out of my fucking dog because he's an idiot that <laughs> swallowed it? Oh, no. God. What, oh, no. What would happen if they x-rayed that crystal? What would happen? Oh, God. It would probably light up the fucking thing. They wouldn't be able to see anything, and Homer would just have died of swallowing a foreign object. <laughs> oh, no. Idiots. <laughs> Idiot children. That was my rant. God, you know what? If okay, this reminds me of the ending of Jumanji when they throw it back in the water. Yeah, they like tie a bunch of rocks and bricks to it. They throw it in a creek, a shallow creek. Yep. And it somehow washes up on an ocean beach, like in fucking like Thailand or something. Yeah. Like, like if that shit can happen, then what do you think the crystal thing is gonna do? Same thing. Same beach. <sighs> 
right Sleepy. right behind Jumanji. Oh my God. It's, it's just like a stack of evil objects just like <laughs> there's a beach in taiwan where every evil object you throw in the ocean piles up no one knows about it but it oh exists my God. oh my God. Oh man that's horrible and then what what if they were playing jumanji and like they rolled and a bunch of hork bajur come crawling out of the board like oh no son of a bitch <laughs> Oh, God. In the blade ship, you must wait till the dice rate vibrates. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then oh what would God. happen if they come out of there? Like, they just, like, burst out in a leotard? What light year is it? <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't funny because that's a measure of distance. But still. <laughs> it's okay. It's funny. It's the I, only I, pun I, that worked. Or joke oh. oh, dude. This is, like, the first book i think that we've had so far where viscer three is not in it yes oh yeah holy shit that that's whoa right yeah the emotional like they, they talk about him but he's not physically there which i'm like oh where did he go what's he doing <laughs> he's just looking at his lake trying to relax he's looking he's still trying to get the skunk smell off. <laughs> he's still bathing <laughs> in his grape juice oh no <laughs> Oh, why at no point did Marco say, smell you later? Oh, opportunity wasted. Yeah, totally wasted. Damn. Uh, So that's this book. Wow, we're ten books. Ten books, we've hit double digits. How's it feel? Feels good. I'm ready. I'm ready to find out some more things and be even more horrified and scarred than I am now. Yay! Yay! <laughs> yep, that's first out of more animals killing them horribly. Yeah, I Ugh. mean, I'm not gonna say it's the last time it happens, but damn it, certainly it won't happen the way you expect it to. Okay. <laughs> do we need to do a a happy moment at the end of this, or are you feeling pretty good? Uh, I'm feeling okay. Um. Yeah. What about you? I'm feeling pretty good. Marco always deceives me with his jokes. It makes me feel happy. Yeah. He puts you. He lulls you into a false sense of security. He does and then before pulls some horrible shit. <laughs> I mean, that haircut's just unforgivable. Yeah. <laughs> Him and his dead animal on his head, as they described it. Oh yeah. Rachel <laughs> said it was like a small monkey living on his head. She did. And then Marco also decided at the end of the book to keep it short just to spite everyone. I love that. It paid off. It did pay off in the end. <laughs> All right. Well, where can people find us if they want more of this particular brand of shenanigans? <laughs> <laughs> we have a website, anamorphsanonymous.com. Fuck yeah, we have a Facebook, which is Animorphs Anonymous on Facebook, or Facebook dot com slash groups slash Animorphs Anonymous. Uh, we're also at Twitter at at Animorphs Anon. Yeah, we're on Instagram at Animorphs Anonymous. And you can reach us at Gmail anonymousanimorphs at gmail dot com because again the Yerks stole our our intended username. They did. Thanks. Those dicks. Thanks Yerks. <laughs> Thanks. Dicks. Way to go Yerks. <laughs> God. God 
damn it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we are also on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. We're on Google Play. Google Play. We're on everything. Pocket Cast. Pocket Cast. Um, there was another one I heard of that somebody said we were on that I've forgotten because I'd never heard of it before in my life, but we're on it. Oh, creepy. <laughs> we are aggregating around <laughs> we're spreading out we're spreading out all everywhere. corners of the galaxy like the yurks yeah pretty much over. pretty much we come in the dead of night and spread around before anyone notices that we've taken over like a virus hooray yeah <laughs> yeah Alrighty. let's end until it until next time until Andy, next any fans any fans is that what we call them I mean, I just want to call them all Andalite Bandalites now. I feel like that's on brand for us. That sounds good to me. All right. Until next time, Andalite Bandalites. Bye, y'all. Bye.